This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Let me share with you a couple thoughts. You know, we, we started a series um, last week called, Is This It or Is There More? And it's a series really about relationships. And we're, we're wanting um, to just look at this idea that God has a specific plan and idea when it comes to relationships. The whole title insinuates this idea as we think about relationships is um, we often... We often look at the relationships that are around us or the relationships that we hope to have or maybe those that come into our path and we could find ourselves asking that question, maybe not verbalizing it, but just wondering, you know, is this really it? Is there something uh, that you have more than, than what I'm seeing? Maybe it's the first time you go out on a date or you meet someone at work or you meet someone in your neighborhood or maybe even walking into the door of a church. You're just going, is, is, is this it? Or, or is there more? Is there something more that you have? You know, the reality is, uh, for every single one of us, we desire more. We were created to desire more. We long for healthy, lasting, life-giving, purpose-driven relationships. We all want that. We were created to want that. And when we have those, we do a whole lot better in life. And when relationships are struggling, we don't do very well. Come on, anybody relate to that? You got to struggle with a relationship and just, just something inside goes haywire. It's because we were designed to, to live in harmony and unity in this idea of relationships. And, and what we're doing a little bit different with this series is we're, we're looking at relationships in context to God's family. And you know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible has um, obviously some very important things to say about relationships in context to the family of God. And, and there's a statement I wanna make that I think is a pretty profound statement is that I believe that the, the greatest place for you to find authentic, uh, life-giving relationship is in the church. And that sounds a little bold, at times could be very arrogant. But what I find this to be true is, is that God's word is very clear about this idea of the body of Christ. And that term shows up all throughout scripture. And it's a term that refers kind of an, an analogy or an allegory or symbolic representation of how we are connected together. And that when God brings you into a church family, he connects you just like a finger to a hand or a hand to an arm. It's this idea that you weren't just... Uh, uh, created to just jump into a weekend service or just kind of casually stop by. God created you to be a part of a family called God's family. And we're called the body of Christ. And we see that throughout the New Testament. And so I wanna look at this idea of relationships in context to the church and how they were intended to help you become all that you're supposed to become. And, and there's, there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Paul, and, and we're gonna look at a couple comments from him tonight. And you'll find just in about every epistle that he writes, he writes about relationships, even though he might be writing about other things like the church or gifts or talents or abilities, it seems like he always comes back around to this idea of the value and the importance of relationships in the local church. And in one of the books, he, he, he writes to a, a group of people in Ephesus. It was a, an area back in the first century that was a very um, 
successful area, if you will. There was a lot of wealth and commerce and educated, prominent people seemed to gravitate towards the city. And um, with that came all of the other baggage that comes with money and wealth and commerce, like we see in America today. You know, people, they just get busy and they do life their own way. They get kind of their own gods. They do relationships their own way. Um, They become sexually promiscuous. I mean, you go down the line and everything that America is today, you can see a mirror reflection in Ephesus. And, and Ephesus was this, this place where a church was planted and Paul's trying to, to talk to these Christians just like you and just like me. They, they're immersed in a culture that's pulling at them. And this culture's trying to get them to think differently than the way that the Bible thinks. And again, we understand what that's like here in America, just with the onslaught of media and entertainment and enticements and temptations and cultural pressures and political innuendos and everything that's going on in our culture. We grapple with trying to find out how should I think? How should I function? How should I live? What's right? What's wrong? We look at what's happening in just the, the whole moral arena. And again, how do, I, how do I really think about morals and values and what do I think about my sexual behavior? And you think even about the racial situations. I mean, Paul's writing to a group that was facing this extreme racial tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Just like we're facing the racial tensions today. He's trying to help them think that, listen, stop thinking like everybody thinks out there. Stop trying to align your world and your life and your thoughts and your relationships in that mire out there. Because what you're going to find out, if you continue to do that, you're going to be sadly disappointed. This is, this is what Paul's saying. And so he's trying to bring context to say, let me just get you to stop and pause for a second. And, and let me get you to just think a little bit about what God thinks about how you were made and how you're supposed to function. And if you'll listen closely enough, this is what Paul's saying, I can guarantee you that I can put you on a path that will help you to find what you've been looking for all along, and that's personal, authentic, life-giving relationships. So that's kind of our approach today. And I wanna look at a portion of scripture, and like I said, this is in the book of Ephesians, and, and Paul writes this thought, he says this, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is joined. He starts by saying this, and again, he's, he's, he's trying to help us understand something. He says that we, he uses the, the, the plurality word, that we together are joined and that we together are to grow up in Christ, meaning that as we come together, that where we find relationship and health is that we together grow in God, Christ being the head, us being the body. But he goes on and he says that a lot of that growth that happens isn't just vertical in nature, but it's horizontal, that it's things that we do together that is so contrary to what's out there And if we just catch what Paul's saying, he kind of gives us these four thoughts. If you look at the scripture, he says, join and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, with each part working properly, and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And again, he uses this body analogy. But he says, let me just unpack for you four thoughts 
about what relationship is intended to be in the church. And if you can understand this and lean into it and embrace it and live it, he's saying, you're gonna have a life that's filled with peace and fulfillment and joy and happiness and everything else. How many think that's a good idea? Come on. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at those four things. And I want, I want you to see this diagram because this diagram really explains what Paul was saying in a simplistic uh, analogy here. Basically, what Paul is saying is, is that he desires that every single one of us, that we together, that we are joined and held together. He uses that, that phrase in that scripture and basically saying, it's the place where you find authentic relationship. That it's, it's where you actually join together and you trust each other and you love each other and you do life together. We know that if we can find a healthy, safe, trusting environment where we do that, we thrive. And so he's starting by saying the way that you're gonna find this place is by being joined and held together, right? And he goes on and he says this, that when you do that, and we would all know this from the relationships that we have, that when we come together and we join together and we're held together, all of a sudden something begins to happen that's exciting. We begin to grow. We begin to grow in our relationships. And again, hopefully in a church atmosphere, you begin to grow in your parenting, maybe your marriage, your relationships, your thought patterns in life, um, your finances, your health, your career, your ministry, whatever it is, hopefully a church family provides enough love and care and direction and counsel relationship that you actually feel better when you hang around each other, that you're actually growing. The more time that you spend in this kind of environment, the better you feel about yourself. The less that you spend time in this environment, the harder life is. And we all know that if you've been involved in church in any length of time, oftentimes you leave a whole lot better than when you came in. And that's because that time together helped you grow. And this is what happens when you grow. You, you, you begin to be less self-absorbed and self-centered you actually start thinking about other people. You actually start thinking the way that Jesus thinks. And you begin to live life beyond yourself, not because you have to, but it's because you recognize that's how you thrive. And so because you're growing, it then begins to create this natural culture atmosphere where we actually begin to care for each other. And we wanna pray for each other and we wanna help each other and serve each other and take care of each other. And it's just this kind of, I wanna use this word utopian, but it's, it's, it's not fantasy, it's reality. You actually create a culture that thrives because everybody's loving each other. I mean, how many like to be loved? That's half of you, good, I'll pray for the rest of you afterwards. So, and, and then ultimately what happens is this, is that you, you, you then begin to wanna to reach other people because you've seen what God's done in your life, you can't help but to tell your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, that are struggling, that are thinking about suicide or depressed or feeling hopeless or going through a trial. You just go, man, I, man I've got to tell you, man, I've got some friends and family. I've got some people that can really help you. And so ultimately, as a result of what we're doing, we begin to reach. And hopefully those people become a part of our family and they start authentic relationship. And so you see in this diagram, this ongoing cycle that happens. This is what Paul's saying. 
This is what Paul is trying to help us in the midst of all of the noise that the Ephesians were facing and all of the challenges and pressures and temptations and enticements. He's just saying, can I just bring to you a very simplistic plan that will just help you fix all of your challenges once and for all? It sounds too good to be true, but because God says it, it actually is true. I've had the wonderful privilege in my life over the last 30 years of being a Christian, of being involved in this kind of environment. I I don't know how people do it without a church family. I mean, trials come, tragedies come, hard times come. It's so nice to know that when you fall, when you make a mistake, when someone dies, when you're sick, when you have a child, when you're going through a struggle, that there's actually people around you that love you, care for you, that you can trust in, that will help you to live just a wonderful, wonderful life. And so with that, I I wanna talk today just about that second circle. Last week, we talked about finding authentic relationships. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, go onto the website and listen to it. I think it'll really be helpful for you. This is gonna be a a cool four-part series. Um, But tonight, I wanna talk about this idea of experiencing a caring community. And what does that really look like? And and what is it that we were actually created for? And how, how do we make that happen? Um, The first thing that I think is real important to understand is that that God has a very specific care plan. I mean, when you looked at the Bible, when it comes to us caring for each other, God has a plan in mind, and it starts with the way you were created. And, And one of the things that we recognize about ourselves, if we're real honest, is that we were created to need each other. Sometimes we don't like to admit that, right? I mean, especially as guys going, I don't need anybody. I do this on my own, right? But the reality is, guys, we need each other. From the moment you were born, you needed mom and dad to take care of you. You wouldn't have made it without them. All the way through to the day you die, we need people in our lives. We need parents to teach us. We need our spouses to love us. We need our friends to encourage us. We need pastors to inspire us. We need coaches to challenge us. We need educators to teach us, right? We need Jesus to help us with every other thing I didn't mention. We, we, we just need, we're, we're needy people. Um, and, and, and that's the reality. And, and that isn't a weakness. It's actually a strength to recognize that, is that we were created to be interdependent with each other. It's so important to recognize that because that's where you begin to thrive is by recognizing who God really made you to be. And, you, know, you know, beyond that, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that, that we just have to come to this place that we were never intended to do life alone. We just weren't intended to do that. I, I think of some of the stories here at 217 and the different people. I remember talking with one of the ladies today and, um, you know, she was uh, taking care of both of her parents and her mom just recently uh, passed away and just really going through a real struggle of a time. And it was amazing, without even asking, her entire connect group got together, started bringing meals over to the house, started doing housework, started taking care of the kids. She's just in tears this morning saying, what you were talking about, I'm experiencing. She says, I'm so grateful for this family. I remember just a few years ago, we had a lady over at Mill Plain Campus, and um, she came down with cancer and had a very, very difficult five-year battle with cancer, ultimately went home to be with the Lord. But for five years, their small group got together 
and took care of everything in that house. They did the housekeeping, they did the laundry, they watched the kids, they did everything, guys, for five years. How many know that that husband and those kids are forever grateful for that family that came around them? Come on, life was never meant to do alone. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. I, you know, had the um, unfortunate situation with my dad. And, you know, my dad went home to be with the Lord July 31st of this year. And um, my dad decided to move about 15 years ago out to the coast with his, with his uh, wife. And it was the, the furthest place on the planet. And I just watched the last 15 years of their life be this very hard, hard, lonely, lonely time. I just kept saying, Dad, why don't, you, why don't you move to Portland? Why don't you be around family? And they just loved the beach, but it was, it was a difficult 15 years. Thank God he gave his life to Christ the last 12 hours of his life. Um, but it was, it was a tough journey just watching them, just knowing to be able to take care of them. I don't want to live that way. God didn't create us to live that way. And so we've got to recognize that we were created to be interdependent of each other. Let's just acknowledge that. Can we acknowledge that? Come on, can we acknowledge that? And so what, what, what uh, the Bible helps us understand is that there's this, this care plan that God had. And if, if you go to the book of Acts, which is really the historical account of the first century church, and it's in there as a blueprint. And the reason why God wrote that particular portion of scripture through Dr. Luke was to help us to see this is the kind of community and the kind of relationships that I had in mind. This is what Paul was referring to. And I want to read these four or five verses to you just for you to get a snapshot into this group of people that built this culture that we're still talking about today. Here we are, you know, 2000 plus years ago saying, I want to live like that. I want to be like that. And so, so let me read this to you. It says this. It says, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I like this part because it's speaking of all of them. It says, and then all the believers met together in one place they shared everything that they had. They sold their possessions, excuse me, their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, that sounds exciting. I mean, when you read that, it just that, that they, they came to this place where they were so um, connected with each other, they realized everything that they had was just to help each other. And when they did that, it says that they were filled with joy and gladness and they were praising God and they were celebrating. And it, it, it almost sounds contrary to what we live here in America. And, and there's some reasons why God created this. And I want you to understand this. Is, is you, if you look back into the first century, that kind of community was necessary for their survival. They didn't have government agencies. 
They didn't have welfare systems. They didn't have food stamps. And again, I'm all for government assistance to help people that are in need. But the reality was they didn't have that. And so they were forced to take care of each other. And it was actually God's way of making sure that they kept the community in place that he wanted them to have. In fact, two-thirds of the world still live this way. Over four billion people don't have uh, additional support outside of their own little village or community to take care of themselves. I wonder if maybe, just by chance, that uh, what we have has, has spoiled us or harmed us in some form or some way. And, um, you know, the other thing that I see about this particular culture is that, that it was contagious, I mean, as you read this, you find that thousands of people begin to be attracted. 3,000 on the first day, two weeks later, another 5,000 were added. Today, there's over 2 billion people that call themselves born-again Christians. It's like, it's, it's, there's something about it, this kind of lifestyle, this kind of culture, this kind of community that's highly attractional. When you look outside the, the walls of the church, you realize people have tried everything possible and still hopeless and still empty and still starving and still struggling and still depressed. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And you find that those, when they come in, like me, I remember when I came in, strung out on drugs, it was, it was a small group of people that saved my life. As I walked into a small group, not a service, a small group, those people got around me, loved me, helped me to parent, helped me to be a husband, helped me with finances, helped to break the addictions off of my life. And it was people that spoke into my life that helped me become who I am today. And I'm forever grateful for the Mike Shreves and the Gavin Griswolds and the, uh, and the uh, Leonard Fox guys and the, um, just, just everybody that was involved in my life in those early years, in those early days. And um, that's God's care plan. When you look at the book of Acts, he's saying, that's what I think the church should be like. And again, Paul's writing to some people that have immersed themselves in a culture like the Ephesians where church begins to be a spoke, not a hub. It's just kind of like maybe once in a while, maybe we'll stick our head in. It says that they met in the temple daily and house to house. I mean, their relationship, their life was their, was their family. And he's saying, this is where you're going to find the best and most uh, possible way of finding these kinds of relationships. Here's one other thing that I find with this group, um, is that they realize something, is that fulfillment in relationships came by what they gave, not what they got. Just think about this for a second. Think about your life. Whenever you're trying to get someone from someone, you kind of feel stingy or selfish inside. Maybe even when you get it, you feel a little guilty. It's because sometimes when we, when we try to do something to gain something, um, it doesn't bring actually the fulfillment that we ultimately need. Why is it when the antithesis situation happens or the, the opposite situation happens, when you actually give of yourself? where you go out of your way to help someone in need, stop because a car's broken down on the side of the road and help someone, or praying for a waitress. Last night we were at a, a restaurant, uh, Hopjacks, with uh, Dylan Jones, our youth pastor, and uh, we just had this, this uh, very smiley, happy waitress, and I could just tell that she had a kind of a, a, 
a facade on, if you will. And I asked her if, if, if uh, God could do a miracle in her life, what would she want? She goes, well, I would just pray that babies would be okay. I said, no, really, how about you? And she just started, she just broke and started sobbing. She says, you know, my mom's in real trouble and I really need help. And um, I don't know what to do. And so we begin to pray with her right there at the restaurant. She began to sob and she began to weep. And it was just a moment. And, and, and I left that restaurant feeling good that I went out of my way to touch someone's life. When we do that, we feel God's heart. Why? Because we were created to do that. This is what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to show us this, this principle we have to catch is that the community that God created for us to live in best thrives when you live to give, not live to get. And what you see, and again, I wanna show you just a couple diagrams here because I think what you're gonna see in these two diagrams is the way in which we see or the way we live versus the way God intended. And you see this first diagram and the diagram's really called a hierarchical care model. Society's built this kind of, of culture of care. We have a government that says, hey, we'll take care of all the needs and welfare systems. We've got governmental agencies, nonprofits. And so we live in an environment where there's a need out there. Uh, we think someone else is going to take care of it. And thank God that there's many agencies that can do that. So I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. But what happens is because we have such a, a significant hierarchical care model or culture, it begins to cause us to be calloused to the needs around us. We, we don't even, we, we just kind of think, oh, well, they got it. Oh, someone will take care of it. You know, someone will, will, will help that person. And, and it doesn't even cause us to have compassion. It doesn't even cause us to stop and think, well, maybe what can I do? Why? It's because there is someone else that will take care of it. And what happens, because we live in a culture, and again, let me go back to what Paul's saying. Paul is talking to the Ephesians church that actually had systems in place to take care of people. And, and, and he's coming, and he's, he's saying, you gotta stop thinking this way. And what happens is that this kind of thought permeates the church. And so the way we begin to think about it is that the pastors are the one that's supposed to take care of everything. Right? It's, it's the pastors that are supposed to pastor and care and teach, and they're the ones that are going to have to go to the hospitals and birthday parties and everything else. And we put an unrealistic expectation upon pastors and leaders that God never intended in the first place. And, and two things happen, and I think this is important for you to understand. If you put that expectation upon pastoral leaders and leadership, number one, you'll burn them out. Because again, this campus has maybe 12, 1300 people in it. And if you even look at the five, six, seven staff people that are here, that works out to like two, 300 people per person. I mean, that's just, that's just unfair. It's, it's, it's impractical. It's, it's not God's design. You even read about that in Exodus 18, where Jethro tells Moses, says, you know, if you keep doing what you're gonna do, you're gonna burn yourself out and you're gonna frustrate all the people, right? It's the same thing here. It's an unrealistic expectation. But here's the most important point I want you to get. It robs you. It robs you of the wonderful privilege of being able to care for other people. 
And again, every time that we reach out to help someone, we always, if you're like me, you always stop and go, why don't I do that more? That just felt so right. That felt so good just to pray for that person or give money to that person or help that person. It just got, why don't I do that more, right? It's because we live in a culture out there that teaches us not to do that. That's not God's plan. But what we see is this, and this is what we were talking about in the book of Acts, is the mutual care model. And basically, it's where everyone, as it said in the scripture, they devoted themselves one to another. And when you think about this, it's, it's, it really means this. Everyone cares for everyone. I raised my kids that way. And, and when my kids grew up, they, they understood that everybody does everything. I even feel that way as a church staff. And if you watch, I mean, I love picking up trash in the parking lot. Why? Because I'm not above that piece of trash. And so I try to find every way to serve and to be a part and to just be engaged and, and be in the weeds. Why? It's because that's the culture we're trying to create. I honestly say this with all of my heart. I'm just another person on the team. I don't want to be treated any different. I want to be just known as Mark. I just want to come in and sit and be part of the team. I want to sit and take notes. I want to celebrate what other people are doing. Why is because that's the kind of culture that we're trying to create. Everybody cares for everyone. Everybody recognizes that there's needs all around us. And we trust you. We believe you. We believe that you can care. You can pray. We want to empower you to to lead a group and go to a hospital and help people out and reach foster kids and whatever it is. Uh, We want to create this kind of model here. And the cool thing about it is is that this is the kind of culture that we're still talking about 2,000 years later that we all desire to live in. What would it look like, guys, come on, if we built a culture like that at City Bible Church? where every single one of you said, you know, I'm going to make a decision to be part of this family and to care for others. That when you came, you didn't come to church to get, you came to give. That when you walked in the door, you were looking for someone to love, to serve, to help, to encourage, to pray. In your small group, wherever you serve, wherever you work, your neighborhood, that you are known as a person that live life beyond themselves, just like we were talking about in our generosity moment. So, so let me just mention just a couple things here, and then, then we're going to go ahead and close tonight. Let, let me just mention a couple things that, that Paul points out in um, other letters to other churches about this idea of caring community. And there's a couple practical steps or a couple things that you could ultimately do yourself. And I'm just going to rattle six or seven of these real quick with the scripture The first thing is this, be committed to each other. And again, Paul writes to the Philippians. He's in a jail cell writing to another another letter to another group of people. And he says this, he says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. And listen, he says three things here. He says, agree wholeheartedly with each other. In other words, he says, commit it in your head. Agree. He comes back and he says, loving one another, heart. And he says, working together, hands. 
Commitment is something that you have in your head, you have in your heart, and you have in your hands. It's not just the way you think, but it's the way you feel and it's the way you behave. Why not make a decision to say, I'm going to commit to be a part of City Bible Church like never before? If you haven't taken belong, we say this every single week. Why? Is because we know we can help you to be closer to finding the relationship that you need, discovering your purpose, growing spiritually, making a difference if you would just step into that journey with us. Commit to be a part of the family. If you haven't done that, maybe tonight's the night to say, I'm going to make a decision to make this my family. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you with is to, is to love each other. Paul, again, here he is writing to the Romans. He says, don't just pretend to love others. He says, really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And I love this. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. You know, for my wife and I, have been married now 37 years. It's been seven months out of 37 years we haven't had someone live with us. And the reason we do that is because of that scripture. I want to make sure that I have enough room in my house to help people in need. And so we've done that, whether it's foster kids or adopting kids. We just had a family, a couple move into town from Rwanda where missionaries came and they're living with us for a couple months. It's, he's saying this, really love them. Love isn't a feeling, it's an action. It's, it's a verb. It's like, do something. That's what Paul's saying. You know, you read that and it's like an altar call. I mean, he says, work hard at this. Step out of your, step out of our Ephesus thinking. Get out of that kind of world and get into this idea that I'm going to use my time, my talent, my treasures, and I want to show people the love of God. Greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for a friend. That's love. And that's what Paul's saying. Really, really love them. Don't just talk about it. 1 John 3 just talks about that. Don't love people in word only. Love them in deed and in truth. Encourage each other. Another whole group of people, the Thessalonians, I've spoke four times, the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, he gives another thought. He says, just encourage one another. Can we make it our aim that at all costs, lift each other up? Don't be divisive. Don't gossip. Don't have a critical spirit. Love people. Just celebrate. Most, how many people try to do their best most of the time? Right? And here's our challenge. We judge people based on their actions. We want to be judged based on our intentions. Right? Just love people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Encourage people. The next one is just help each other. The Corinthians, here's another group of people. He's just simply just saying this, is that these people, when they were in need, they gave out of their lack to help them out. 
And, and I just, I just want to say this because this is important for us. Uh, and, and I want to get this into the minds of, of the people that call this home. When we take our tithes and offerings or we ask for help when it comes from Live Love World Sunday, Faith Harvest, this isn't us asking money from you for us. It's exactly the opposite. All that we are is a conduit. We're trying to help you do what the Bible says is you're actually giving money to help each other. You're not helping me. You're helping each other. And when you give of your monies, it helps us to be able to have the facilities that we have, to the staff to take care of your children. Uh, you just go down the list, the foster cares, uh, kids that we take care of and feeding homeless, and you go down the list. What we've tried to, to create as a culture is that we give because the Bible actually says so. And again, we, we're very frugal with our finances. We count every single dollar. We're very frugal about what we do. But we believe it's a, it's a sign and it's a form of helping each other. The greatest maturity of a Christian is the person that recognizes giving of their resources to help others in need is actually healthy and biblical. We're some of the most blessed people on planet Earth. Last thing and I'm done is to serve each other. Jesus made it so clear. He says, if you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And, uh, you know, there's so much that goes on at City Bible Church. And we, ha we have a thing called the dream team. And that's anybody that serves anywhere is part of God's dream team. And just want to encourage you, one of the greatest ways you can create a caring culture, and caring environment is just to say, I'm going to choose to use my gifts and my talents and my abilities to help other people. I think if we do those five or six things and we commit in our heart to commit to each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, to help each other, to serve each other, we'll begin to see the culture that God had in mind and the community that God has in mind. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can, I, can I pray for us tonight? Let me just pray for us. Lord, tonight we, we thank you for, God, just this intimate, special moment tonight as we just do service a little bit more unplugged and have a conversation together, Lord. Lord, I pray that every person, Father, would have a takeaway from tonight. Lord, that we would each just look at our heart and ponder our attitude, our motives, our actions. God, would you help us to, to care for each other and love each other? Holy Spirit, you're speaking to every person differently tonight. And I just pray whatever it is in their world, God, that you're asking them to change or assess. Father, that you just help them to take the next step in creating a caring community. Father, thank you so much for this family. And Lord, we're just praying in the days to come, you'll help us to be known all over this region as one of the most loving, caring people on planet Earth. We give you the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.